0: This is Guns and Butter.
1: Here, yeah, yeah. What it is ain't
2: exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there. It's only been five years. Five years of our family members watching us drop dead. And every time popular mechanics calls the people of this movement nuts. These propagandists, professional liars and tools who cannot even, by any stretch of the imagination be considered journalists, strike another nail into the coffin of another rescue worker. We who are still dying from 9-11, who went into the towers and into that pile, now live with those buildings in our lungs and digestive systems and our blood. And if you allow these scumbags to strip you and this movement of all legitimacy, you condemn first responders to death.
0: I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, New York Stories, 9-11 First Responders. Toxic conditions at Ground Zero, on 9-11 and long afterward, have had devastating physical and psychological effects on a category of persons known as first responders— the emergency medical technicians, firemen, police, National Guard, ex-military, rescue workers and others. These are the people that showed up, some within minutes, some from across the country, and stayed for weeks and even months. At Community Church in New York City on September 9, 2006, a group of 9-11 first responders shared with us their experiences at Ground Zero, and how they were treated afterward. Though they were touted as heroes, they were treated, in the words of New York 9-11 activist Les Jameson, like poor servants. Today we bring you four of these stories with National Guardsman David Miller, former New York City police officer Craig Bartner, volunteer and Civil Air Patrol pilot Major Mike McCormick, and former Air Force Special Operations Kevin McPadden. We begin with veteran New York Army National Guardsman David Miller.
2: My name is David Miller, and I'm a veteran of the 69th Infantry Battalion, 42nd Division, New York Army National Guard. I served from 1985 until 2001 in the 42nd Division. 10th Mountain Division, and the 102nd Medical Battalion. I was decorated, deployed in various capacities, earned several occupational specialty qualifications, and rose to the rank of an E5, a Buck Sergeant. There's nothing special, even really very interesting, about my service record. I went to St. John's University, a working-class college in Queens, and worked as a counselor while taking odd jobs in contracting throughout my hometown of the Bronx which, unlike social work, paid well. I had dreams of helping to rebuild the South Bronx where I'd grown up to physically restore the neighborhood and with it the essential sense of community we'd lost in the 70s and 80s to the drug wars, to neglect, to all the things that made that part of our community a blight. There was nothing special about any of that either. And like kids from my community, one week in the month, two weeks in the summer, uh, and occasionally some extra duty or training, I went off to the National Guard. That's how you got into college. That's how you could pay for school. That's how you got out of the ghetto. Um, that's what the Guard was to me. On September 11, 2001, along with hundreds of my fellow troops, I went to Ground Zero. No one asked us. No orders were given. We went because our city, our country, our neighbors were under attack. And we knew what to do, or at least we thought we did. I came home 10 days later. I won't tell you about the vivid images of Ground Zero. There's no need to. If you were there, you know. If you weren't there, there's no need to talk about it. I want to tell you tonight about the people we call heroes about the people in front of you, about the people you've read about in the newspaper for the past week who were invisible for the past five years, about the people who we applauded and put up banners for and and wrote songs about and put into music videos and put movies on about and forgot about, that they were abandoned in their hour of greatest need and are still in growing numbers living in terrible physical and economic circumstances, as they struggle with the carcinogenic effects of the toxic chemical soup ground zero became, that they still have the dignity and courage and, even now, fight like hell to save innocent lives, even as so many of us are dying. How many people in here live in New York City? Take a look at everybody with their hands up. If this room was full of rescue workers, I'd like to show you all something, but I need your cooperation. Will you help me? Can this side of the room, everybody stand up? Everybody on this side, if you're all rescue workers, will be dead in four years. Thank you. You'd all be dead in four years. That's our statistics. That's what's happening. In seven years, it doubles. This is what <coughs> Mount Sinai proved in a 17,000-page study that's on the Internet and you can read about. It. I would like to tell you tonight about September thirteenth, two 2001, about marching down the West Side Highway after we had taken three hours of food and sleep and showers and checkups at the Chelsea Piers, by some incredible volunteers, uh, by thousands of them, who had set up a kind of a release station for those of us who were working on the pile. And we, on September 13th, we marched back in, in groups of twos and threes at first, and then dozens, until there must have been more than 200 of us, carrying ropes, ladders, tools of every kind, back into the smoke and the poison and rubble where we reached an intersection with hundreds of civilians cheering us on. Our uniforms were torn and soiled, our resolve was simple, to stay and dig as long as we had any hope to save anybody. I want to tell you about how sick so many of these brave men and women have become. How Dr. Thomas Frieden, the Commissioner of Health for New York, has done all he could for the past five years to further denigrate the sacrifice of our soldiers, firemen, police, EMTs, steel workers, all the first responders by diminishing the clinical findings of his own coroner's office over and again, his own study, and the undeniable epidemiology of those who came to the city's rescue on that eternal day. I want to tell you about how the mayor refused to accept the fact That not dozens, not hundreds, but many thousands of us were contaminated, sickened, and poisoned by the most toxic combinations of building materials in the history of disaster relief. And that for five terrible years, he ignored that fact. That's not how you treat people the city considered heroes. Instead of all these issues, I'll tell you about their use of language, they being the media, for what passes for journalism in this era. Did anyone besides me thank God, the baby Jesus, and Santa for the incredible luck that the media, all four networks in New York, the leading papers across the country and the Internet, that all the media paid significant attention to the Mount Sinai study last week, rather than Paris Hilton's DWI or the latest Tom Cruise meltdown? That's, we finally got coverage, coverage worthy of this issue. It's only been five years, five years of our family members watching us drop dead. And every time Popular Mechanics calls the people of this movement nuts, these propagandists professional liars and tools who cannot, by any stretch of the imagination, be considered journalists, strike another nail into the coffin of another rescue worker. And every time Time magazine dismisses real, hard, physical evidence that a new investigation needs to be launched into how concrete was pulverized, every time Time magazine dismisses that evidence and instead writes a two-page article about the psychology of the conspiracy movement. They perpetuate this build-up of people in very, very coordinated efforts trying to take this movement apart. We who are still dying from 9-11, who went into the towers and into that pile, now live with those buildings in our lungs and digestive systems and our blood. And if you allow these scumbags to strip you and this movement of all legitimacy, you condemn first responders to death. So in closing, I'd like to put out a few points that I got, not reflective of the 9-11 movement or its board, if there is such a thing. Just my own opinions from the Popular Mechanics book that I read over the past two days, which is a really good piece of fiction. They are sheep. Popular Mechanics says that we consider in the movement people call people who aren't in the movement sheep. I would consider that valid. See, I know something about sheep. Sheep never conceive that the man who fills their grain bins will without any afterthought one day start cutting throats. We know what they did, they being the government. We know what they're capable of, and we know that they can do it again. Time magazine wants to separate us, marginalize us, in order to make discrediting the evidence we're presenting acceptable. And that's a threat to every one of us. We're now officially conspiracy nuts. Give yourself a round of applause. Time, U.S. News, and World Report popular mechanics have all said so. We're worse than Oliver Stone ever was with JFK. Worse than Spike Lee with that damn Katrina HBO special. Worse than that fat son of a bitch Michael Moore for suggesting Iraq is unjustifiable and the Bush, Cheney, and Bin Laden families have all been incestuous with each other with wild disregard out in the open. Because sometimes that's the best place to hide. Loose change is more dangerous than anything they've ever encountered. In the words of a popular radio host, uh, Michael Savage, who's really interesting to listen to since he's completely out of his mind, they're giving it away like the goddamn New Testament on a CD. How do you stop that? They can't hide the truth forever from everyone, so will discredit it. And to do that, to do that first, you have to attack the character of the movement, the public perception of our individual psychological statuses as a whole group. And this is what Time Magazine tried to do. Yes, then you see their numbers will shrink or at least they'll become stagnant. After all, for God's sakes, these people think they're a movement. It's obvious what happens next. They're radicals. They're undermining the war on terrorism. The Bush administration is just the worst liars, the most dramatically overt in their manipulations and deceit. They really don't give a crap if we see right through their schemes. Johnson, Nixon, Reagan, Bush, even Clinton tried to hide dirty laundry with the first establishment, though, of a genuine American dynasty, the dynasty that would have been established if, Maybe the Kennedys hadn't, for generation after generation, gotten blown away. See, now we're starting to—we're so delusional that we're comparing conspiracies. We understand the convolutions of empire in this room. How was the concrete pulverized? How was glass micronized into dust? And how was there molten steel? But a passport survived. (laughs) What were those explosions reported by the FDNY? And why weren't the planes intercepted? And how did Hani Hanor learn to fly like that? I don't think we're crazy. Everyone in this administration had motive, intent, and opportunity. Conspiracies are only evidence the courts won't hear. We came to your rescue on 9-11. Now thousands of us in our families need you to come to ours. For myself and far too many of us, research and the effective treatment is going to arrive far too late. I have double metastasizations in both lungs. That's just a reality. But remember the other side of this room that stood up. We're the canaries in the coal mine. Where did all that dust go? We were also killed on 9-11. Avenge us.
0: You've been listening to former National Guard Sergeant David Miller. Today's show, New York Stories, 9-11 First Responders. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. We continue with ex-New York City police officer Craig Bartmer.
3: My name is Craig Bartmer. Some of you may know me from the Internet phenomenon called Nice Base. I go on there by the nickname Craig 9-11. Uh, I'm an ex-New York City police officer. I joined the NYPD in 1995, and I served until I left the job after 9-11 in February of 2002. Like so many others, I melted five pairs of work boots working at the pile at Ground Zero for over a month, until I collapsed one morning in October of 2001 on my way into work. I spent nearly a month in St. Vincent's Hospital, recovering from respiratory complications directly related to working in the air at Ground Zero. Recently, I was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis due to the collapse of part of my upper left frontal lung lobe and scar tissue in both of my lungs. I also suffer from severe post-traumatic stress disorder, and this debilitating condition has kept me from even leaving my home from long periods of time. I'm in therapy every two weeks for this, and I struggle with it daily. To this day, it keeps me from holding any form of gainful employment. I've tried with limited success to find a job Since I left the police department, and those that I have found, I have lost largely due in part to my PTSD and the difficulty I have in socializing with others based on my need to speak about 9 11. Uh, I speak all the time about issues, and my inability to hold my tongue gets me in trouble. (laughs) That's, That's what brings me up here before you tonight. I don't want to bore anybody else with my details but I just wanted to outline some of my experience and let you know who I am and where I'm coming from. Another real reason that I'm up here speaking before you today as a member of the growing 9-11 Truth Movement is I'm concerned that we're not being told the truth by the government and media (coughs) about the events of 9-11, period. That being said, I'd like to address some important issues that I believe relate directly to the 9-11 Truth Movement. I'm concerned that we're not being told the truth by the government And I'm concerned that the truth that we're all trying to report is hurting us, too, sometimes. Nearly all of us in the truth movement love our country enough to demand answers about what we see as lies and cover-ups by our own government, so much so that we're willing to do whatever it takes to get our message heard. For me, that is a small part of the problem facing our movement. I'd like to address the word truth as it relates to the 9-11 truth movement. They say the truth can set us free, and sometimes it's said that the truth can keep us in the dark too. I'd like to make it clear that although many truth movement members are indeed helping us, I also believe that some of the truth movement is actually hurting us. I believe that some of it is actually keeping us in the dark. Don't get me wrong. I'm part of this movement. I don't want to offend anybody here. As we draw closer to the fifth anniversary on Monday, 9-11-06, the media is once again generating all sorts of attention on 9-11 issues. As usual, they seem to focus on the government's official story, and they also lambast and brand any dissent and challenge that refutes the accepted story of the day. As you know, media and almost everybody I know brands any dissent of the official story as a conspiracy theory. Indeed, some members of the truth movement even revel in the fact that they're conspiracy theorists. I'm here to attack that term and to tell each and every one of you that you should not stand for being called a conspiracy theorist. You should not stand for being called that if you have checkable facts to back up what you're saying. I am not, nor have I ever been, a conspiracy theorist. Labeling yourself as such or being labeled by anyone else as a conspiracy theorist is doing our entire movement a great disservice. Calling alternate theories conspiracy theories is doing no one any good. And in the interest of real debate, it is something called an ad hominem attack. An ad hominem attack is a logical fallacy that automatically discredits the disseminator of the information at question based on a preconceived bias. That's the exact thing that's done when we allow ourselves to be labeled and debated as conspiracy theorists in regard to 9-11 issues. We cannot open a clear and honest discussion on the topic when we base the context of that discussion with the conspiracy theory label. Ad hominem attacks are everywhere on the news, uh, on the internet, in the papers. You hear it when Ann Coulter speaks about liberals or when Sean Hannity calls you crazy before he interviews you. It's the perfect method to create an automatic bias. It's a way to sway an argument to one side, making the other side seem either impotent or irrelevant before a word is even spoken. Before a word is even mentioned about our cause, the term conspiracy theory is abused, and the average reader or listener will say, here we go even before us, word is spoken or heard. That's wrong. 3,000 dead and thousands still suffering from that day deserve better. If we're going to do those people justice, the people who are still suffering today, people who are sick like myself, like Dave, like Kevin, like hundreds of others like us, we must fight this battle as well and see to it that we're taken seriously when we talk about what we're talking about. People also cite experts with far greater academic acumen than I have, who use information based on scientific method and applied physics and years of study in a given field that directly relates to the observed events of 9-11. In the interest of addressing the official story outlined in the 9-11 Commission report, we encounter another logical fallacy. On the other side of the debate coin, that's called an appeal to authority. This second logical fallacy supposes that because of true or reported credentials that the expert making an argument and disseminating accepted information is automatically correct. I cite people's faith in the government's official explanations just because they support our president or our country, as an example of this second type of logical fallacy. If we are to be taken seriously and we are to be respected in our search for the truth, we cannot allow ourselves to fall prey to either one of these logical fallacies. We have no need to do so either. We have a treasure trove of demonstrably false information and easily confirmed evidence that is ignored because of the conspiracy theory label. Members of this administration, claimed on tape behind a government podium that no one in our government saw this coming. Yet the mayor of San Francisco was warned eight hours before he flew on 9-11. Dick Cheney himself was running war games on that day. Have you ever seen a photo of that plane on the tabletop model of the Pentagon? You seen that picture? That was taken in the year 2000. We never thought about planes being used as weapons, though. Um... Dick Cheney was in charge of NORAD on that day. That can be proven, but it's ignored. Where is the media outrage? Where is the media inquiry? Why? Why, for the first time in history, was a civilian member of our government in charge of NORAD? These facts are proven, but can be ignored. Stock market records indeed show a large amount of money being pulled out of American Airlines stock and put options the day before the event Why hasn't that been investigated more fully? Why are the hundreds of eyewitness accounts of explosions preceding and during the collapse of all three buildings on 9-11 ignored? I myself ran from Building 7 as it fell, and I heard with my own ears what sounded like a rapid succession of explosions while running. We can rebuild plane crashes completely with debris recovered by divers from the ocean, but we cannot even produce a single piece of steel from the World Trade Center Steel that hasn't already been melted down and fabricated into something else to examine it because the stuff was shipped out of the public eye so quickly, and some of it's in China for Christ's sakes. Ugh. There's no mention of those facts in open debate in any major media source that I see. We have the bold faced lies told by the EPA in the city of New York and the CDC. The CDC said the air quality at Ground Zero was perfectly safe and no worse than secondhand smoke yet 20 something first responders have died in the last year due to respiratory illness directly related to that safe air i'm sick because of that no more dangerous than secondhand smoke air where's the outrage and the highlight of that you're starting to see it now where you can see one lie there's usually others bombs in the building and demolition theories are fine and worth noting but that truth can only be produced through honest and impartial investigation i say that again Honest and impartial investigation, investigation that is devoid of bias, those truths can come out in the wash after we have this independent investigation done. We already know that we went to war on a lie, and you're telling me this government is to be afforded credibility in any matter pertaining to 9-11? Hogwash. I'm aware that some, some theories labeled as conspiracy have gaping holes in them. I'm also very much aware that the government's theories have holes in them as well. With those two facts, it's obvious a new investigation is needed. But that need is ignored and swept under the rug. That need is ignored when we, in this movement, separate ourselves into camps full of what we believe. Belief is not important here. Investigation and illumination of ignored information is what is important. Again, I will say I'm not crazy, nor am I a conspiracy theorist, nor are many of you sitting here listening to me today, or many members of the truth movement across this country and globe. I am a trained ex-law enforcement person who does his homework and who wants a real investigation done because of what we have now. The 9-11 omission report is not real investigative work. It's loaded with bias written by people with definite conflicts of interest. For the record, in regards to the official 9-11 omission report, 3,000 dead deserve better. There absolutely is something up about the events of 9-11 that we are not being told. And that truth is inalienable and needs to be uncovered by a new and impartial investigation. Each month, we are exposed to new theories. Some of them are indeed crazy and irrational, but not all of them are. Now is not the time to be claiming that there were no planes, because I saw plane parts with my own eyes that killed people. I mean, I I looked at a, there was an airplane engine on, on Church Street with a smear of an ex-human being under it. There were planes there. I'm a guy who's still suffering from the events of 9-11, who's fed up with this being turned into a circus and who just wants justice. We see injustice everywhere we look in this fight, especially when looking at the administration that's currently in office, that even I supported at one point. We spend $1.5 billion a month in a war overseas started on a lie, and we cannot fund our own citizens' health care? We can't even help first responders to the attack on 9-11, 70% of which are seriously ill, myself included. What does that tell you? I know what it tells me, that war and killing people overseas is worth investing in, and our own people, even ones once hailed as heroes, are not. In closing, I'm going to give you a quote from one of my heroes. We must not confuse dissent with disloyalty. When the loyal opposition dies, I think the soul of America dies with it.
0: You've been listening to ex-New York City police officer, Craig Bartner. Today's show, New York Stories, 9-11 First Responders. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. We continue with Ground Zero volunteer and Civil Air Patrol pilot, Major Mike McCormick.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for being here tonight. As I look out in the audience, I do not see audience participants, but I see extended members of the 9-11 family. (laughs) September 11th started off as a regular day for me. That was until a phone call came from the 106th Air Guard Rescue Unit telling me to turn on the television set. When I turned on the television set, I had asked what channel. I was told it didn't matter. To my astonishment, I had seen the North Tower in flames. Immediately, without thinking, I went straight to the base, and by that time, the second tower was subsequently hit. Three hours— After the towers were subsequently destroyed, I responded down to ground zero. As I ran up Varick Street, I had actually slipped. If anybody's familiar with Charlie Brown and the football, that was me. You couldn't tell sidewalk from street because the dust was that high, along with other debris. Now, one thing you have to remember the Trade Center was built with 425,000 yards of concrete, of which 40 floors of both buildings had been pulverized. That means close to, I would say, just under a million ton. (coughs) Excuse me. Just under a million tons of concrete dust was vaporized and made airborne. With this, there are hundreds and thousands of people now sick. Sick from many things because when concrete is made, you have silica, lime, and there's admixtures to strengthen the concrete there's hardeners, there's plasticizers, and they're all hazardous materials. Every single one is placketed under the Material Data Safety Sheet from the Federal Government, and that has never been publicly announced. As an advocate for 9-11, I've gone to hundreds of responders, And basically, everybody has the same story. Pulmonary fibrosis, ground zero cough. Ground zero cough is actually an anti-inflammatory response to foreign bodies embedded in the lungs. Once you have it, it's basically a death sentence. We are all subject to an early death. This is because George Bush, in his infinite wisdom, decided to make the report secret. Secret because he did not want al-Qaeda or the boogeyman, whatever you might want to call them. They could even be CIA assets. What has happened here? is now because of this lie this city has been changed forever. Unfortunately, because of this lie, hundreds of people will die, terrible debts, and the worst thing is this country is known for its generosity. Every time you look at the paper, Hundreds of millions of dollars is going here, there, and everywhere. Yet not one federal dollar has ever been spent to aid 9-11 responders, sick people that just lived in the area, and that's a goddamn shame. You know something? It all comes down to the almighty buck. Buck. You know, it's made of paper, it's good for goods and services anywhere around the world. On the back of a dollar bill, we even print, in God we trust. The majority of us believe in a higher authority and the goodness of man. Unfortunately, the people that are in office are scoundrels, And they look at God, not as the the Almighty, but they look at God as gold, oil, and drugs. As of April 2006, what's not known to the general public is that your grandchildren's grandchildren will be paying off a loan to Red China. The war on terror is being financed by China, and it's over $257 trillion. That's a lot of dollars, and these people will not raise a finger to help. There is actually $1 billion in a fund for 9-11 responders. Instead of taking care of sick responders, what they have done so far with Mayor Bloomberg at the helm is Mayor Bloomberg has spent $40 million of that billion dollars on denying claims. This is a real American for you. A month ago, I had gotten a report that was deemed secret. It was the report from the executive office, legal department, to Christy Todd Whitman, advising her to downplay the severity of ground zero. It was deemed secret because George Bush did not want anybody to know the severity of ground zero. Now, that's pure unequivocal bullshit. Bottom line is, any TV that you can put on with any channel showed the target totally destroyed. There was nothing to hide. The only thing that was hidden was what was going on. Now, Christy Todd Whitman, I'm happy to say, is going to have her day of reckoning. They all deserve to be put on the carpet. It is time for good Americans to take back this country. Unfortunately, under the guise of Homeland Security, federal agents, central intelligence individuals, NSA, you name the acronym, I would say a good 80% of all agencies involved are Manchurian candidates. These are the people sworn to protect the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And the only thing that Homeland Security does is decimate the United States Constitution. You know, Homeland Security, when I hear that word, I kind of laughed to myself just for the fact that Homeland Security Department, the only thing that they don't take care of is the country's patriots. You know, back in 1776 when Paul Revere did his ride, whatever the case may be, everybody that rallied to the cause from the British, they were the Minutemen. These were the, uh, the citizen soldiers that forged this nation. Every single responder, police, fire, EMS, every volunteer, they are the Minutemen. These are people that deserve pensions when they can't work anymore. They deserve all the medical care that's necessary. I have seen many responders die, and there was nothing I can do to save them. This is New York. This is the seat of the most sophisticated medical hub of advanced care in the world. The only thing that these responders didn't have was a country that gave a shit. Now, myself, it's sad to say, but I'm no longer on George Bush's Christmas card list. You see, on September 14th, I had dug up and unearthed the actual Ground Zero flag, which went all over the country, the torn flag. And I was made the 9-11 poster boy for the administration. I received commendations from the White House, from Governor Pataki. Myself and my team was taken to the Capitol, where we were recognized and honored by all the lackeys on Capitol Hill. And for the first time in my life, the one thing I learned about being on Capitol Hill is you have a handful of good New Yorkers. You have Congressman Israel. You have Congressman Nadler. Take the front runner, Congresswoman Maloney, Congressman Bishop. These are the people that are going to make things right. Unfortunately, the Capitol and the United States Congress, what they do is they bicker and barter about what the administration can do. They basically have their hands tied because they will get threatened with not getting resources or companies that have government contracts. If you don't go along with the administration's game, you're out now. You can be the biggest schmuck in Congress, but at the end of one term, you retire with full salary for life. So you don't really lose your lifestyle. Responders, and what I see here is if you don't take care of the responders here today, what's going to happen the next time? What happens if you dial 911 and nobody shows up? Because that's what's going to happen, folks. What I would like to see is a brighter day for all Americans. I'm going to tell you a quote that was made by Edmund Burke. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to stand by idly and do nothing. Your participation here today shows me that they will not get away with it. You know, prior to 911, I ran incident commands at the last four major air crashes in New York. That kind of made me an expert, and that's why the guard called me. Now, I had been out on workman's comp, and because I went down to ground zero, because I have a lot of friends that were missing, the government played on the responders. THE GOVERNMENT KNEW THAT THE RESPONDERS HAD A CODE OF ETHICS WHERE NO MAN GETS LEFT BEHIND. EVERYBODY WENT INTO HELL AND THEY PAID FOR IT EXPONENTIALLY. UNITED STATES GOVERNMENT HAD HIRED ME TO WORK OUT ON PLUM ISLAND. I DID EMERGENCY SERVICES AND MOP-UP WITH THE MOST DANGEROUS PATHOGENS ON THE PLANET THAT DO NOT HAVE CURES. I know what I'm doing. I'm a distance learning facilitator for the Department of Defense. What I have seen down at Ground Zero is unconscionable. The government immediately could have sent physicians from USAMRID to help the doctors at Mount Sinai because these guys were flying blind. Alex Jones here, he's filmed many drills in his area where he lives this is done constantly but this is done to suppress the american public this is not done to help them i have a close friend that lives next door he builds the secret jails and i've seen one i've seen one myself in brooklyn this is to decimate the constitution take away your right to bear arms suppress the media, and allow nothing to come out that shows any negativity on the government, and that has to change. People have to take back the country. You know, it used to be the American fighting man did a tour of duty. In Vietnam, the day he stepped off the plane, a tour of duty was one year. In his infinite wisdom, George Bush circumvented that tour of duty. He cons people into joining the military. And at the end of that year's term, all he does is he changes the mission from enduring freedom to enduring bullshit or whatever it is. (laughs) And every day that he changes the name of the mission, the clock starts over again. You have soldiers that probably won't come home for ten years. Now, I'm glad this is the end of his term. Hopefully, Christy Todd Whitman will not go to court until after the President's term, because the outcome will be bittersweet. It is sure as hell that she'll be convicted of crimes against humanity, treason, just to name a few. However, If Bush is behind the catbird seat, the only thing he's going to do is pardon her. That can't happen. We cannot let it happen.
0: You've been listening to Ground Zero Volunteer, Major Mike McCormick. Today's show, New York Stories, 9-11 First Responders. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. We conclude with medic and former Air Force Special Operations for search and rescue expert, Kevin McPadden.
5: Hello, folks. Um, I don't have the most, like, precise speech prepared, but I have, like, these, like, thoughts that, that, like, constantly pound their way into my head, and I just seem to just jot them down and made a little compilation of them. I'll start off by talking a little bit about myself I was deployed to the Oklahoma bombing with the Air Force. I I was the second wave of medical response coming out of Shepard Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas. After all the medics were working 12-hour shifts and they got burnt out about six, seven days later, we came in to take up the slack. There was nothing, nothing compared to 9-11. It was like 9-11's kid brother. The day before 9-11, I was laid off as a network engineer working for Falconwood Corporation, which is based out of the World Trade Center. I felt like I was going to just sleep in the next day. But, you know, an empty plate on my nightstand and a glass of water vibrated and fell right off. It's like, what the hell is that? This is a New York City earthquake? Wow. I finally got to live through one. No, it was much worse, but it was like an earthquake came outside. I, I, actually, I went to the answering machine. All these like incoherent messages are on, on the answering machine. I was like, what the hell is going on? I just heard, turn on the TV. I turned on the TV and uh, knew that I had to do something. I um, ran out of the house, out of the apartment building. There's people crying in the, in the stairwell, people crying out on the street. I was like, what the hell is going on here? It was surreal. It was surreal from, from the start, like immediately. I went to local stores, I got equipment that I could procure, tools, anything that I could put together, food, and I just ran over the Williamsburg Bridge and ran down, ran down town. Actually, I ran to Vesey Street, Vesey and Church, I believe it was, where I was staging with the Red Cross, and that wound up being like a lot of bureaucracy and nonsense. But even then, they, um, they said, hey, you know, like you got to stay behind this line because they're thinking about taking this building down. They're not sure if it's a uh, stable or not. So they were holding a line off because they had knowledge that something was going to happen. well, you know they they pushed us back a little bit and about fifteen minutes later they you know actually like a couple minutes later, they started calming down they let the the border through people started coming back out into the street. We watched like five New York City buses jam packed with people wanting to do search and rescue head down there towards building seven. People walked out into the middle of the street to see these people off like like Bon Voyage, and right then, Building 7 came down, and it was a stampede, and people were just mowing people over, just trampling, I I picked a woman up off the ground, and I thought I maybe touched her the wrong way, and she turned around and took a swing at me, and I said, no, 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 you got to run that way, like, run like you never did before. I actually gave her a little kick in the rear. It was like um, about four, like three or four o'clock in the afternoon on, on the 11th. I'm not sure exactly about the, the time, because I, w- I was there for four and a half days, and all I could really attest to with time is that I woke up three times, and everything else was just like full steam ahead. I'd um, worked by myself over the night on, on 9-11. I um, actually found some kids that uh, found some uh, Tracked the trailers filled with supplies and food and cigarettes and we passed them out. We unloaded some tugboats. Um, I got frustrated because I had medical training and knowledge and I wanted to uh, put it to use. And I went around and went to the doctors, got their wish lists. I barged into St. Vincent's Hospital. There was a big friggin' scene wrestling with the security guards and whatnot. Got called me a drug addict because I was like crazy. And he got pinned up against the wall. And then the nurses gave me this, the medical supplies. And they were willing and, and, and wanting to work, and I was, I was afraid to tell them that you know, there was nobody really to save. Um, I know from being out in the desert, you know, when you, um, at night you have to burn, you have to heat up rocks and bury them, and then you make your camp on top of that. And you, you, you're heated throughout the night with radiant heat through the ground. And it was just so much radiant heat that it, you could walk 35 feet off to where the water was and be needing a jacket. And then you could go up to the pile and immediately break out into a sweat. Yeah, that's, that's not jet fuel that burns off 10 hours later. It's not any kind of incinerary and nothing. Nothing was burning. No combustibles, this was chemicals, this was explosives. Well, I worked throughout the night and in the morning um, I was kicked out by FEMA. I like this, oh man, this guy really made me mad. And I met up with this, uh, Russian, this Russian kid who was just fresh out of EMT training and he was chock full of gear. And I was like, well, I have some experience and he's got the equipment, we gotta stick together. And uh, we got kicked out together. And um, he went to use the bathroom inside Manhattan College and he came out and said, you're ex-military, go in there. Well, I went in there, I plead my case. You know, I was like, look, you know, I need to, you know, I'm getting kicked out and you know, I still have more work to do here. And they said, okay, fill out this paperwork, which were like waivers. And once I did that, they were like, now nah, nobody's kicking you out. You're with us. Well, you know, we did a, a search and rescue. We dug in a pile. But the most, I guess, reverent work that I did was the evacuation of one of the Stuyvesant towers from 20 to the 25th floor. You can only see a couple feet in front of your face. Once I was in the building, I was told by Con Ed that the building was coming down, that the gas mains were broken. Well, you know, that kind of spiced it up a bit. And I was bringing... Uh, I brought, like, three, like, 250-pound women down 25 flights of stairs and in, in the smoke. And my fourth patient, I had to give up to a fireman. And, you know, that was a little bit heartbreaking. But anyway, I, I came out of that building. I, I collapsed. It was like... You know, it must have been my, my golden moment. I just won. At the time, I was smoking cigarettes. I popped a cigarette in my mouth. Who comes walking over to me? Mike Bloomberg. He goes, you know, you think you look cool with that cigarette in your mouth, but you look like a dirtbag. Well, I, I I was like slups or slash. I like enraged. And I hovered over him. I was like ready to rip his head off. And, and, and I was like, you, it might be your city, but you're in my personal space. And he, he just went... He just turned around and moseyed off. He knew, where to, he knew he had to get out of there. But, you know, surprisingly enough, he, he, um, you know, everybody in the military unit was like, you know, pay him respect, you know, he handed over his checkbook. Yeah. Now he's saying no free lunch. Look, look, you little weasel. I'm not one of your little computers you're selling. I need repair. If it was one of your little number crunches, you'd have a technician out there in a minute. Can't wait till he's gone. But as my, my symptoms, I have uh, PTSD, severe, I was told. I have asthma, reactive airway disease. Although Sinai says there's no abnormal findings other than I have the lungs of a 60-year-old. I'm 30 years old. I'd say that's abnormal. On a, yeah, at the, at, at my lungs have a 85% or I, I, I fell within 85% of their predictions of having an illness and they say that the average person loses 3% of their lungs every year, and I will lose, like, 12. I mean, that's really reassuring. This is a gross miscarriage of justice, and the government and the state are despicable. Our country has been taken over by these nasty corporate giants, and they have seem to give our, our government HIV. And us in the Truth Movement, we're the white blood cells. We're the ones holding it back, suffering from a bad infection. Abe Lincoln stated that we have the right to overthrow this government at any time. Well, you know what? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I hear people talking about suicide and whatnot. Don't. We need your back in your hands. This, at the time, was near. Thanks, all.
0: Listening to medic and former Air Force Special Operations for Search and Rescue, Kevin McPadden. Today's show has been New York Stories 9 11 First Responders. New York Stories were presented as part of the 9 11 2006 5th Anniversary in New York City. Audio for today's show, courtesy of WBAI News reporter Fred Wynn. Guns and Butter is edited and produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. Our engineer is Bonnie Bone. To leave comments or order copies of the show, call 510-848-6767, extension 628. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.net or visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.net. Hey,
1: yo, these are some serious times that we live living in G of your own cipher, and be on the lookout for those spirit snipers trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look within yourself for peace, give thanks, live life, and release. You dig me?